and welcome to the Nebraska Wedding Podcast. I am Kelly LaFleur, your host. I own Lacework Films, a wedding videography studio here in Omaha, Nebraska, and I am so excited to welcome you to our episode today. Um, I am so incredibly excited about our guest today. It is the one and only Carrie Dayton of Carrie Dayton Events. She is a wedding planner extraordinaire, and one of her true passions is etiquette and helping families navigate tricky situations. She is also a huge supporter of the wedding industry here in Nebraska, and she loves all things wedding. You'll hear all about it in her intro when she introduces herself, but she has loved weddings for her whole life. Um, I'm going to read a quick little quote off of her wedding website here. And it says for under her description, love and romance is my life. I've spent 24 years pursuing it. They say I see the world through rose colored glasses. When I'm not helping make dreams come true, I can be found in my car transporting my boys to hockey, swim, school and play dates. Her resume includes 24 years in hotel, restaurant and catering industries. She is a certified meeting professional founding member and past chapter president of the Greater Omaha chapter of NACE, as we all like to call it. And I am just so excited to welcome her today to the podcast. If you are not familiar with her, you, after this podcast, you're just going to want to follow her on Instagram and forever do this. We actually had to split our episode up into two. So second half will air this week on Friday. And I also want to apologize in advance for the sound quality. Um, somehow I don't know what happened, but my recorder did not get a feed from the mics. And so luckily the mic on the recorder still picked up our conversation, but there will be a little bit more noise than usual. I tried to clean it up as best as we could, but we had such amazing conversation that I knew we would not be able to replicate it, um, in another conversation. And I wanted you all to hear from Carrie. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and meet Carrie Dayton. All right, everyone, we're here today with our special guest, Carrie Dayton of Carrie Dayton Events. She has had Carrie Dayton Events for seven years and has been in the event industry for well over 20. And so I'm so excited to have you here because you are such an expert and I'm so excited to have you talk about all things relating to wedding planning. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Longtime listener, first time visitor, very excited. Well, hopefully, repeat visitor in yeah, the future. We have crossed. lots to talk about. Fingers crossed, I might have to do more work to compete with all the people you've had on the podcast, but maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll maintain my status, hopefully. Yes, that would be great. Well, I would love if you could introduce yourself and kind of give us a quick pitch of what you do, your business, and then we'll go into your story. Absolutely. Pitch of the business. So, my name is Carrie Dayton. I started Carrie Dayton Events and Consulting about seven years ago, but I like like you said, I've been in the industry for a really, really long time. I've always loved, loved weddings. Um, naturally, we do corporate events, we do non-for-profit events, we do golf tournaments, which I absolutely love because I'm, a, I, I'm, not, a, I'm not an avid golfer, but I would love to be, I aspire to be. Um, but we really, primarily, the base of my, the foundation of my business has always been weddings. And so just, it, we've grown it very organically. We're definitely, um, it's, been, it's been a wild, wonderful ride. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got started and your passion for all of this. Uh, I mean, take us all the way back. Absolutely. So I've been listening to your podcast and other people in this industry, and you often hear, you know, well, I picked up the camera when I was three or whatever. And the reality for me is I, I think in fourth grade, went to my mother for Halloween and said, I want to be a bride for Halloween. I found a bride uh, dress outfit in the Sears catalog. You could be a bride for Halloween. 
and I wanted to do it. And um, I always, you know, I played cruise director with my, the love boat was big back in the day and I was the cruise director. And then we also played hotel front desk check-in. And I, you know, would sit there and take people's credit cards or their cash and I would hand over a room key. And so, you know, movement into the hospitality industry. When I graduated from college I went, or high school, I wanted to be a teacher, a social studies teacher because I love like government and science, all, you know, political science. And my father said, you know, teachers don't make a lot of money. You should go into the hotel business. Thinking the hotel business was like, people make bank in the hotel business, which we all chuckle because they don't. And I was like, gosh, dad, you know what? You're right. So went out to the University of Denver, got a degree in hotel, restaurant, tourism management. And I mean, that's, that's my, that's, I honestly, like I live and breathe the hospitality industry. So, you know, I've done everything from hotel front desk, which was like a dream job, right? Because I was checking people in. And, you know, I've worked at housekeeping. I worked in room service. I worked in food and beverage. I worked in hotel sales. I worked in banquets. I've, you know, really moved around the hotel world. And then um, got a little, a little burned out, to be honest with you, you know, working 60 or 70 hours a week and, uh, was looking for something new and fell into off-premise catering, uh, which was a whole new ball game. It's so easy to, you know, to do events inside of a box where you've got silverware in the closet and you have your plates in a closet, you've got linen. And then when you are in off-premise catering, there's nothing. So if you forget that salt and pepper shaker, someone has to take 30 minutes to go get it. Um, and so that really kept, that took my experience to a whole new level of understanding, like how important that salt and pepper shaker is, how important that bottle of mineral water is, how important you know the little creamer, the, the containers that carry the cream, how important that is. And so that was that really helped me refine you know the detail side of of what I do, and it also gave me a tremendous. Um, knowledge of the operation side of the business. So, you know, I love selling, love shaking hands, kissing babies, designing the dream. It's so much fun. But then I've had to service the dream and it's it's rough. And so I hope that, you know, as I hope that we've made our name as hopefully partner friendly and uh, that we understand where our partners are coming from and we understand the nightmare of the logistics of things that we might have to create. And I have someone on my team who's specifically very operation minded and I literally pay him to drill me about operations and people see me interact with him and they're like, you know, why, why would you let someone talk to you that way? I'm like, I need him to because I need to know where I'm going to fail, you know? And so that's, I think, from a company perspective, we, the experience that we have with carry date events is, I mean, it's over 40 plus years of experience of people who have been in our industry that understand and know. And I think that that's where we've made a name for ourselves. And it all grew organically because people knew, oh, Carrie does, a, and I've always loved weddings. Carrie does weddings. You should call her. You should call her. So, you know, it's, it's just been this beautiful um, blend of growing a business with networking and the experience. So I feel like we've always been made, I've always been made to do this. Um, I care about the industry. I don't ever want to leave it. Um, and I would love to even just keep educating the industry and love seeing all the new talent that's coming in and, and watching the future of the industry take shape. Because when you're as old as I am, you've seen it change over over time. And it's been pretty amazing. That's wonderful. And I wanted to kind of highlight and ask you about, um, you said partners. And, you know, often people in the industry, we refer to each other as vendors or, you know. And I, would, I just wanted to ask you kind of how you, I love that term, yeah. and how you came across, not necessarily came across that, but how did you bring that into your business and everything like that? Absolutely. I think it's 100% of mindset. Um, I think the minute that as a planner and a designer that I start treating my partners like vendors, I'm going to lose my ability to provide successful events for my clients. Because the truth is, 
I would like to think I know everything. I would like to think I've experienced everything and I would like to think I know best. But I need to constantly keep myself humble and by realizing that the people that we bring on are partners, that opens up, it's a mindset and it's a culture within my company and it opens up like I genuinely want my partner's feedback. I, I don't want them to stand off in a corner and just do what I tell them to do. Now, one could assume that means I don't know what I'm doing, but I firmly believe that if I build the right people around me, they're my partners and they're going to make all of us shine. And I can't look at that as a vendor. I, a vendor says that term, it's, it's okay, and, and I get that it can be used synonymously, but for me it's a culture. The, the term vendor means you do what I tell you to do and we're not a team. And I always tell my couples like, the secret to wedding, no matter if you hire a planner or not, the secret to like the best wedding or the best event is you hire partners that all care about each other, right? Because you don't know, I mean, I promise you, we can plan this day to a T, but something is gonna potentially go wrong. And when you hire a group of partners that work together and care about each other and are invested in each other, they're not going to let each other fail. Therefore, you're producing an amazing event. When you have vendors that don't see each other as partners, they'll let that other person fall. Now, we're in the Midwest, and I don't think that that happens a lot, but I think, again, it goes back to that mentality of the term partner, and I really, I hope that I have put it out there that any partner that we bring on, if there's a concern about something I'm doing, like, Carrie, if you do that, you know, people aren't going to be able to enter that room, or, or whatever, I want to know, because I can't catch everything. I'd like to think I can, but I can't, and so that's why I call them partners. It's very important to me. They're not, they're not vendors. Yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense. And it's really just kind of building that element of community and that you're, we're all working together for the same couple. So why not, you know, play to each other's strengths and let it all rise right up? Absolutely. And I think as a planner, you know, you can, I'm judged, I always say, you know, we're judged, we're judged on how well we plan. But we're also truly judged. I think the truest, biggest moment um, is when, is how we handle the emergencies. Do we panic, do we fall apart? And I think when you have partners on your team um, and you build that trust with them, we handle things flawlessly, or at least I do. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I, try, I really try not to stress on a wedding day and it's seldom that I do um, because I know that I've got four or five people from the videographer to the photographer that, that can help me troubleshoot a problem. And you know, it, it's been, and so it's, it's, it's been a beautiful, and, and that helps me in my opinion produce great events. Yeah, yeah. Has it been something that through the last seven years of Carrie Dayton, has it been consistent through that, or was it something that you introduced later on in the business as, you know, everything was kind of evolving? Introduced what? The partner? Just the partner term. I think it's just, no, that's always just the way I've looked at it. Okay. Um, I heard Colin Cowie once say something about partners, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, But I think that... Um, I'm a team player. I feel like my strengths are to help lead people and to help know when to step back and let other people lead. And so it's always, it's just, I guess, always the way I viewed it and always just a term I've used. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. No, but I was happy to say that I was in the company of Colin Cowley. That was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, back to kind of a little bit more about you. Um, What are three things that people don't know about you? You know, I love this question. And I was thinking about it, and I feel like my life is such an open book, kind of like what we talked about earlier. Um, but I absolutely love hockey with a passion. Um, I think my ideal dream job would be a hockey mom. 
uh, and you get to live that most of the time, I, I, right? I do. I do. I don't think he's going to go into college and that college mm. hockey, and that's okay. I'm totally fine with that. But I love hockey. Um, I am slowly trying to gradually move over to a plant-based lifestyle, which those of you who know me, uh, it's, it's quite funny. Uh, my husband started this plant-based lifestyle two years ago, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a total trend, whatever. He'll be over it, and he stuck to it. Um, and so we're really starting to, um, I'd say we have meat in our house, because I'm not anti-meat. Right. Just trying, so I say we have meat in our house probably twice a week, but the rest of the time I work on uh, vegan meals. Uh, we are dairy-free, but that's an allergy thing. That's not a choice thing. That's an allergy thing. Um, so that's something different that I don't think people know, but I'm enjoying learning about that lifestyle, um, and it's been a lot of fun. Oh, well, everybody knows I love Ed Sheeran. I love Ed Sheeran. I try to work him into every single presentation that I have. Like, if it's a presentation on table manners, which I do, Ed Sheeran's in it. If I, if I can work Ed into any type of thing I can, I will. That's like my secret little... Yeah, that's some people. That's my secret little thing. I want to add Ed Sheeran into everything. That's awesome. Well, let's see if you can sneak him I in. Otherwise, I, yeah. <laughs> I actually have. Yeah, I actually have my first wedding coming up, and their first song is to an Ed Sheeran song. Their first dance, and I'm like, wee! You'll just be back there, like swaying I along. Know, I try not to dance on wedding days, and this this couple's very special to me because I have to choose the song that's my ringtone. So I'm like, woohoo! So I cannot wait until that happens. Yeah, it might be working its way into the ceremony too. So I'm very excited about that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. What? Mm, come on, I'm here. <laughs> okay. So, as you probably know from listening, I love asking people just what are some roadblocks or mistakes that you've gone through in your career to help you become a better service expert, a better expert in your field? You know, that's a fantastic question, and I knew you were going to ask it, and I was trying to prepare, and I can tell you I've made mistake after mistake after mistake, um, and what those mistakes are, I, I can't even think of an example. And I tried, I really tried, but I will say this, um, I, I think it's really important to, I have made mistakes time and time, nothing is ever good enough for me, um, and, and I try very, very hard to not make the same mistakes. And it can be as simple as, I had a vision for the napkin, I trusted the caterer to do it, I thought I communicated it, but then we got really, really busy and I look over and the napkins are all folded and they're not the way I wanted them to. And I'm like, mm, I'm gonna fold napkins now. If I care that much, I need to take that on my own. You know, and then, you know, and even, you know, all the years that I've been doing this in the industry, I'll still make some stupid mistake. And I'm like, come on, I know better than this. Um, so mistakes happen with me a lot. Uh, what they are, I couldn't think of one that was like, podcast worthy um i'm sure i'm sure i i, I am I blank? i'm trying to blank but okay. i do i do make a lot of them um it, but i always try and learn from them and then i seldom make the same one twice yeah so it happens do you have a process like after a wedding day or something like that where you kind of review and you know go through that process of learning from your mistakes absolutely and i actually bring other people into that as well so you know i have a very small team we're a boutique firm you know i have two or three people working for me and that's it. Um, and we'll always be a boutique firm. But um, for the large events, we absolutely sit down and break it all down. Um, and that's hard because again, you know, like I'd like to think I'm perfect, but I know I can't get better if I don't listen to what they have to say. And so from a partner perspective, there'll be a couple times where I reach out to a partner and say, what was your overall thought on this? Um, because I have thoughts and I want to see if their thoughts align with mine. And um, I don't take anything they say 
uh, I don't get insulted with that. I try to make it better, and then that helps me work with that partner better. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, we do. I mean, do I do it for every event? No, but um, I, I really value my team's feedback, and the partners that I work with, I really value. Uh, you pick up things. I really value learning that. It's, I think it's imperative. Yeah, well, and I think it's also... I know for me personally, it's hard to reach out to the people that you're working with to ask for their feedback, particularly if you aren't working necessarily in like a team environment. Yeah. You know, you show up on the wedding day and you've never met these people before yeah. and you're working together, but you're maybe working more alongside each other versus working together. And so then there isn't that opportunity for the feedback. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I'm going to divert here for a mm-hmm. second, which danger I do that a lot. but. Um, I have worked with some amazing partners, and again, I consider them a partner, but then, you know, as a planner, I'm there until the very end, like, we don't leave, like, I don't leave until they get in the limo and drive away, or my team doesn't, and um, I've had partners that I've worked alongside, and I've asked them questions, I thought we were having this great relationship, but then their job is done, and they just leave, they don't even say goodbye, and I'm just like, I, I, but I, I would love to have had the opportunity to at least say thank you for the opportunity to work with you. Um, if you have any feedback, let me know. Like, it would have been great to say goodbye. Like, I'm not upset because they don't know where they're at. That's not the case. It's just like, oh, well, I, I wanted to say goodbye to them. I, I, oh, that kind of stinks. And I feel like I left it, like, you know, I left it as a non-partner. Like, they just worked side by side and they just did their job and left. And that kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I like that team environment on a wedding day so much that, I mean, and certainly do, they don't need to say goodbye to me, but it kind of makes me sad. Yep. You know, I totally get that. So, so like if you go, make sure you go say goodbye to your people because maybe that's how then you can say, I really enjoyed working with you. I'm leaving. If you have any feedback, let me know. Maybe that's the way you open that script. Yeah. That's a really I good like point. I like it when they say goodbye. Yes. It's important. We run a team. Like, we went through blood, sweat, and tears, like, literally in Nebraska. So, like, <laughs> we're drenched. I've lost four pounds. I've walked seven miles. Like, we've been in the trenches together. Say goodbye to me. Yes. I agree. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Okay. So, let's talk a little bit more about things that you're passionate about in the wedding industry. We, as a planner, you know, we've had a couple planners as guests before, and we talk a lot about design and logistics and everything like that. Um, But I think you're a little bit more passionate about some other things that are sometimes forgotten. Absolutely. You know, I'll tell you, it's a double-edged sword because I really love the way the planner role has changed over the past 20-some years. And, you know, design is on the first and foremost of first and foremost of everyone's mind. I look at Instagram constantly and I'm getting beautiful images and I'm like, oh, I want to design that. I want to feel that, you know, and I'm finding my way and, and, and wanting to help with the design and, and enjoying that. But um, for me, it's always been about the love of two people. And it's always been about, like I always have said, by the way, I love design, so don't get me wrong. Um, but But fundamentally at the end of the day, I've always told my couples, you know what, the church could burn down the the reception hall could could close and flood my goal is to get you married and at the end of the day you will have joined your lives together in front of your friends and family and so there's a there's a people component that i wonder and i'd love other partners feedback but i like wonder if there's a if there's a component where we're starting to lose the people and we're starting to lose track of the bride and groom. And when we understand, we talked about their favorite foods, we talked about their favorite colors, we go to their homes and we see what they design it. But like, what are, what's their relationship with their mom? What's their relationship with their dad? You know, um, what, how, how do they get along with their siblings? Because as, as a planner, 
they work really close. Like we handle everything from A to Z with our couples. I don't do packages. Like you, you bring me in and we will help you with everything. And we'll take your guidance if you're like, hey, I can make paper mache flowers. I'm going to do that. Perfect. You make your paper mache flowers. But um, through that course, I really get to know these families. And there's always a dynamic, not always, but often, there's a dynamic that needs to be addressed or something happens. And it could be you know, the bride wants hot pink napkins and the mom hates hot pink, she wants white. And then, you know, there's there's anger and there's anxiety, but mom's writing the check. And, and I, like I had mentioned, we do, um, oftentimes in Omaha, ironically, or Nebraska, it's the full bar versus beer and wine. You know, the parents will give the kids money and say, here's your wedding budget, because that's a smart thing to do as a parent, right? You're like, hi, I'm gonna teach my kids how to manage their budget. Here's $33,000, plan your wedding. And then the kids start making choices that the parents aren't comfortable with. And the parents come, it's always, usually when this happens, has always been the full bar situation. And it becomes, the, I have seen, honest to goodness, at least five in the past seven years, family arguments about a full hosted bar over beer and wine because the kids are like, hey, I have $33,000, I'm watching every penny, my friends are gonna be happy with beer and wine. The parents are like, my friends are coming to this wedding. I can't just have beer and wine. They need to be able to have a scotch. They need to be able, be able to have their vodka soda. And then conflict happens. And then t- st- horrible things are said. And people get upset. And then all of a sudden, this beautiful, joyous time of planning a wedding um, becomes not so joyous. And it becomes riddled with stress. And I think as planners, we can't lose that sight. Like we, we often you know, can talk to each other as partners and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe their family's doing this and that. But we always have to remember that there's some type of dynamic going on that we might not know. And how, as a planner, you know, can we help navigate that? And oftentimes I feel like I know my families enough that a mom will come to me and say, I don't know what I'm going to do because the groom's family is doing this or, you know, I don't want to hurt the, you know, the groom's family's feelings, um, you know, but it's not in alignment with what we need or... I need some help, but they're not helping. And, you know, how, and, and trying to help families understand the feelings that they've never had before because they've never planned events like this before. And so um, I think it's it's huge not to lose sight of that. And I think that if we're going to go in the, into this industry, and if you're new coming into this industry and you're only just wanting to focus on design, I think you might be selling yourself short and selling your clients short because there are times where they're going to need guidance and we have to take a mature approach and kind of let them and listen and listen with compassion. And I think it's it's very common. You know, problems keep happening time and time again. It's, you know, the bride's family wishes the groom fam- groom's family could contribute. The kids don't want to do a full hosted bar. You know, these problems keep coming up and it's so nice to be able to tell my clients, guess what, you're not the only one that this has happened with. Um, so you're normal, congratulations, can't fix normal. Um, but then also here is what I have seen play out and here are your choices. You know what? couple, you may want a full host, you may want to do beer and wine, your parents feel very differently about it. How is this going to affect your long-term relationship with your parents? Because I promise you it'll come up at another Christmas event someday with your kids. And so what in the long term, in the long scheme of things, how important is this? Is this something that you can concede on if you know it's going to smooth everything over? Um, you could absolutely dig your heels in, but this is that as, as someone who's been married for 20 some years, 20, maybe, I don't know, 20, 18, 19 years, something like that. Um, stuff comes up periodically, even from your wedding day. And so I, you know, you, it's really beneficial to help families walk through those feelings and navigate it. It's, it's kind of some psychology 
Um, but we can't lose track of that because they could get to the wedding day exhausted, tired, and then as your design may be beautiful, but if your bride is so tired because she was arguing with her mother the night before over what shoes she was wearing because she's purchased three shoes, three sets, and she doesn't know for the day of the wedding, she's not going to enjoy it as much as she would if her mother was happy and she were happy. And so I think that's something we should all remember as partners. And we, how can we help them? And how can we be empathetic and compassionate about the situation? Because with all of this design and all of this beauty that's coming into the world, I think the level of stress that bride couples are going through is so much higher. It isn't just get a haul anymore and throw some food on a buffet and dance until the cows come home. It doesn't work that way. There's stress that comes with this because look at Instagram. I just saw so-and-so's wedding. It was absolutely amazing. My wedding has to be that way, but my mom won't, doesn't understand. And it can be very stressful. Mm-hmm. I, I love like that whole concept of trying to help and what are that, what are the etiquette paths that you can go down and what are the ramifications of each decision? I love that side of the business. Love it. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. So for planners who are, you know, maybe in their 20s, mm-hmm. How would you suggest, or are there resources that they could look to, or what would you suggest that they do um, if they do have, you know, I'm sure most of them will have moms come to them, and I could imagine being a mom, having my daughter getting married, if the planner is around my daughter's age, I'm probably going to feel like the planner is on my daughter's Mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. So is there, are there ways that um, new planners could work around that or educate themselves? That's a great question. Um, I think that the new planners that are coming into the market, right, they're definitely closer to the bride's age than I am. And they certainly identify with the bride. But I was there at one time, too. But it's never just been, and, and I've heard many um, planners say, well, you know, it's really the bride's day, it's not the parent's day. And I think that that really is culturally dependent, to be honest with you. Like, if you are in a larger city where the brides and grooms are majority, paying for the majority of their wedding, um, you know, in Denver it was like that, in Portland it's like that, um, yeah, it kind of is more the bride and groom's day. But in the Midwest, it's a beautiful blend of the families and the couple. And we want it to be about the bride and groom. But we, but I also know my clients, and I also know the majority of us in the Midwest care about what our parents think, and we love them very much. We are a solid family-based, you know, culture. And so um, it's so easy to say, well, you know, your mom as a planner, so, well, your mom's wrong on this, and I'm going to help you get what you want. But I would make recommendations that you would talk to your bride, listen to their side, and then talk to the mother and say, guys, is there any way we can come to a middle ground here? Sometimes we have to do some family mediation. In terms of guides for people, to, I think you should always, as a planner, absolutely, you should be reading every, every MLA Post book that has ever come out. And you should be, they have a podcast, you should be listening to that. Because through the course of you learn, or what I've learned is etiquette, and how to handle sticky situations, it's all about kindness, consideration, and respect. And if you always lead your decisions with kindness, consideration, and respect, that is generally the right the right idea. There is no right answer, which is what I. That's the other reason why I love etiquette, um, because it's really what's right for that family. But if you start to familiarize yourself with the rules of etiquette, and you start to familiarize yourself with the thought process of what's kind, what's considerate, and what's respectful, then I think you can advise and you can help mediate. And so I'd encourage you to, at least at a minimum, read some of, you know, the Emily Post Institute's etiquette books um, on like party planning, or even they've got one on social talk, like how to, how to be socially acceptable and how to engage in people, um, because it will help you. And I think the answer is so easy just to default to, what's the bride's choice? Um, but I don't feel like it's that easy in the Midwest. And I've seen moms devastated and I've watched, 
you know, clients, uh, brides or grooms, couples, um, be up, be sad because they hurt their family. And so I really want to try and help balance that. Um, and, and I think that we should as planners, I think that we have that benefit because we, we just, we see it all. Totally. And I thought it was really interesting that you said that etiquette is not necessarily like there's no right answer because I think a lot of times people think etiquette and they think there's this box mm-hmm. and there are these rules that you have to follow and it's the only way. Right. But it might be the only way, but it doesn't mean the answer is always the same. Right. And, you know, I thought that they thought that as well. But then, you know, I started listening to the Emily Post Institute podcast. Yes, I'm an etiquette nerd. I love that podcast. But you, they, there are rules, but those rules are guidelines because there's so many different situations. There can't be possibly a rule. But what you learn is you start to train yourself. Okay, well, this is the basis. This is the foundation. So then this situation is slightly different, though, because the stepmother has been horribly rude to the groom and he doesn't want her there. Well, what do we do? You know, and so like there's their guidelines, but always common sense has to come into play and kindness, consideration and respect have to be thought of, too. And sometimes that means the rule might need to be twisted a little bit. You know, what do you do when you've invited a couple with the save the date and it was a Mr. and a Mrs. and Mrs. passes away between the time that the save the date went out and the wedding invitation happens? You know, what's kind, considerate, respect? By the way, that's not written in any Emily Post book. I looked. Um, so then you have to, you know, look back at what are the rules, what's the etiquette, and what's the kind thing to do? Do we just send it attention to him? Do we let him bring someone? He's been a widower for two months. You know, that type totally. of thing. And, and so you always, that's where that foundation comes from. And that's why I love it. It's it's sort of kind of gray with dark, dark, dark gray rules, right? Yeah. Not necessarily black and white. There's some gray. Yes. Well, let's talk through a couple situations. So you've kind of mentioned with like save the dates, and I think we've kind of gone over some invitation etiquette and stuff like that on episodes. Um, But let's talk about more like getting closer to the wedding day, kind of, you know, what are people's expectations and their roles or like a rehearsal dinner? I know I have a lot of couples asking, okay, so who's normally at a rehearsal? Who's normally at a rehearsal dinner? Absolutely. So now, you know, that's an interesting question. It's funny you say that because I've gotten a lot of questions about that lately. And I would tell you seven years ago, I didn't get a lot of questions about it. What's happening is this world is becoming so large, right? All of our friends and family are spread out all over across the country. So technically, the rules of etiquette say you need to invite, if anyone's coming in from out of town, you owe them a meal. Okay, so that means yes, but then as you start looking at a guest list, it kind of freaks us out because if I have 120 guests, and technically 100 of them are coming in from out of town, and now I'm having two receptions, right? I'm having a reception on Friday night, and I'm having a reception on Saturday night. Um, fundamentally, uh, so I take that and I say, okay, well, let's tweak it a little bit, right? Like, per, I would prefer you have a 100 person event on Friday night for the rehearsal and a 100 person event on Saturday night for the wedding. However, I understand that that doesn't necessarily fit into budgets and that might not necessarily be what the couple wants. So then let's tweak it. Let's at least offer them some type of food and beverage, but does it have to be in the form of a rehearsal dinner? So what we have seen, what I have seen and what where I think this is a beautiful happy medium is we invite immediate family, wedding party, wedding party dates, and you know, some close out of town extended family to the rehearsal dinner. And that usually starts at six o'clock and goes until eight. And then we have a welcome reception from eight to 10 where everybody who traveled can absolutely come in. 
there's food for them, snacks, not heavy food. There's appetizers and maybe a drink or two. Um, it wraps up at 10, so the couple can get to bed uh, relatively early. You don't sleep anyway, you're too nervous. But you know, you can get to bed and start resting. And I think that that's a, that's a beautiful blend. While I, I would prefer it be the full-on meal, I certainly understand that isn't the case. And so that's what we're seeing a lot of. And I think that honestly, that time, those welcome receptions that happen after the rehearsal dinner, that's when people let their hair down. And that's when you truly, as a couple, get to play and just enjoy your guests uh, versus at a more formal dinner anyway. Or if you can't afford the dinner but you still want 100 people, then why not do you know a welcome reception as the whole concept instead of a more formal dinner? We did, um, I had one couple get, do a, uh, they, we had a rehearsal. Best thing ever, by the way, we had a rehearsal at 10 o'clock on a Friday morning crazy right like who does this or no it was 10 o'clock on a saturday morning because they were getting married on a sunday because it was labor day weekend or something like that who has a rehearsal at 10 o'clock in the morning i thought this was the silliest thing ever it was beautiful because as a planner honestly i had saturday it off which was beautiful but um they had a brunch and it was like this cool picnic so they went and they had their 10 o'clock thing they had this brunch that lasted until two then the girls went and got their nails done and then the whole evening before the wedding was just spent off it was phenomenal and so all of the guests that were in town they just went and had this wonderful light brunch and it was champagne and brunch and fun and and it was completely opposite of the reception it wasn't a formal dinner so it was very cool i think that sounds amazing and brunch is just such a fun like if i got to go back and do a wedding over again i would feel like brunch wedding oh all the way like breakfast food man like eggs benedict you know champagne and orange juice like all of it like yeah there isn't anything from a brunch food perspective that i don't like exactly there just isn't exactly and then you get the evening of your wedding to yourself Right? And you can go out to dinner, but like pancakes and waffles and yes. French toast. There isn't, like, I would eat breakfast 24 hours a day. All Forget day. dinner. Yes. Like, you could add steak to the Eggs Benedict. It's still have. I mean, I'm yep. saying. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I agree. I wanted to ask you um, what your thoughts are on toasts during the rehearsal dinner or just toasts in general, because I think a lot of times people will get pigeonholed into the traditional toasters, mm-hmm. but then if they open it up, everything goes wild. Okay, so the opening it up thing, you know, we all as planners are like, holy cow, please don't do this. Um, And that happened to me once. And I will tell you, because of course, you know, we have timelines and I always say we don't push, it's my job to gently, it's a guideline. But it was a little unnerving because we went seven people deep. However, um, it was very touching. So I lucked out that time, right? Because all seven people kept it to one to two minutes and every single, the groom's brother had passed away. Every single one of those toasts had meaning. They were special. They, you felt the love. And instead of like making people bored and people started wiggling in their chairs, people were crying. People were emotional. And that was an example of when it can turn amazing, um, but it can go horribly wrong. And that's what most usually happens. So from a toast perspective, I always like to say, you know, the rehearsal dinner or the rehearsal event is generally the groom's family's event. It is a fantastic time to let uncles, godparents, the groom's father, the groom's mother, the groom's brothers, if he's not the best man, and do toasts. I mean, it's and, it's, it, and that rehearsal then is so much more intimate than the reception that sometimes I feel like those toasts are even more special because the people that are there are like immediate family, right? So then at the wedding, of course, I'm, I'm totally, I love toasts. I'm totally on board with best man, maid of honor. I will tell you, I think the magic time is about two to three minutes. 
if you go beyond three minutes, your crowd gets restless. They're starting to lose patience. Remind you, they've had four glasses of wine by the time the toasts come in. And so you, you definitely want to keep it, you know, short and sweet and, and meaningful um, and not ramble. Um, and have witty, but my, my biggest pet peeve on a toast I know from toast is you know they'll they'll say they'll say some beautiful stories about the the bride or the groom or the couple, and then they just end the story, and there's no toast. So please remember. So I always tell my my dignitaries who are doing toast, please remember to end your speech with a toast. Please raise your glasses to. You know, the couple, we love you. May your life be full of happiness, health, wellness, many children, fill in the blanks, whatever that is. But make sure you end it with a toast because otherwise people hold up their glasses, but they're really not doing it. It's just my personal pet peeve. Oh, but I agree. End it with a toast, like, but, and keep it short, I think. Though I did have one best man do a roast of the groom. He was an attorney. He was hilarious. But it, it was a good five minutes, but he also was a stand-up comedian. So... I might make an exception for that because it was funny and people were laughing and it was it was overall a very, very memorable speech, but he was a stand-up comedian. So he had that skill to keep people's yes. attention for that long. Yeah, I, I don't have that skill, so I would say, Carrie, keep it to two minutes. Yes. Well, and I think toasts are so interesting as well. I've seen a trend as far as videography. A lot of couples are adding... Um, videography coverage to their rehearsal dinner because of having those meaningful, more intimate toasts and it helps build the story and everything like that because I think I've found a lot of times with best man toasts and maid of honor toasts, some people just are not comfortable with public speaking. Right. They're fine getting up in front of 20 people who are their friends and family and telling a very meaningful story, but to get up in front of 250, 300 people who, you know, over half they don't even know. Yeah. It just gets very nervous. And so sometimes that that time for the touching moments, it doesn't happen. And it makes me sad. So Yeah, no, it's um, true. It's easier definitely to do at the rehearsal dinner, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, and I've, I've sat across from numerous, you know, maids of honor, best man, best women, best, mm-hmm. you know, maids of men, or like all yes. of that concept, groomsmen, like all that. And um, I think that you know, I've seen them nervous and they won't drink. God bless them. They like won't drink, you know, because they got to get to their toast. And then they'll like, after the toast is over. And, but usually I found the more nervous they are, they really had no reason to be. Yes. Because those seem to be the toasts that were so touching, you know, and the tears come out. But, you know, the ones that, that's funny because the ones that seem like, yeah, I got it. It doesn't seem to be as touching. I don't know. Maybe that's just I could see that correlation. Maybe that's just like that. (laughs) On the same note of toast though as well, I really encourage couples to make sure at the reception to tell, you know, the parents, thank you. And I know that's a given and I know everyone does it, but sometimes it's such an easy oversight. And it's really your opportunity as a couple to make your first announcement together. And um, I think it's so special to just let your parents know thanks. Um, Even if they didn't help pay for the wedding, at least tell them thanks for getting me to the point that I'm at today. It makes you look very classy. Um, And as a parent, two kids I, I hope that they'll love me enough to say something on their wedding day I agree but I think just take a couple minutes and it's it's like your first statement as a couple and, it, and enjoy it it should be it should be a fun statement yes and I think also just enjoy that moment of yeah. being up there yeah you know it's just I feel like everyone not everyone a lot of couples just rush through the day and it's always okay what's next mm-hmm. what's next what's next yeah and I think that is why you need to hire people who you trust yeah 
because they will get you to where you need to go and you can live in the moment. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Well, part two is coming on Friday and guys, it's just as good. Thank you so much, Carrie, for joining us. It was great to hear about um, your story and how you got to where you are today. I just still love the fact that you are such a huge supporter of the Omaha wedding industry and just the mindset of partners. I absolutely love and am adopting into my business now as well. Um, I thought she had some great advice for newer planners and etiquette is always just tricky situations. So I'm thankful that I have Carrie to go to for tricky etiquette situations. If you would like to find Carrie on social media, so you can find her online on Instagram at Carrie Dayton. Her website is www.carriedayton.com, C-A-R-R-I-E-D-A-Y-T-O-N.com. So definitely interact. She loves hearing from all of you and I can't wait for Friday's episode. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye.